I'm Dalton Dale, music enthusiast on a mission to learn about my favorite genre, heavy metal. Join me as I listen through and learn about the history of heavy metal music. We'll be talking about bands, albums, songs, and historical events that helped create the metal music genre as we know it today. This is The Evolution Podcast. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Evolution Podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Dale. Uh, glad to be joining you this week. It's been a, a pretty great week. Uh, I'm seeing some really awesome numbers for the podcast. So I just want to start out by saying thank you. I appreciate all of your support. Uh, we are almost to 100 listens on the podcast and almost to 100 followers on the Facebook page. I appreciate all of the support and am so very grateful for uh, every comment, uh, follow, like, subscribe, share. I've got 10 five-star ratings on Spotify. So um, just feeling really thankful this week and really grateful for all of you. I appreciate it. Uh, last week, we covered Queensryche, uh, their EP, and the early 1980s and just talked a little bit about what was going on at the time musically as well as uh, pop culture wise the digital age is sort of introduced at this time um, and whether people know it or not it is going to forever change the way that people access information uh, the internet protocol is introduced uh, the very first cell phone is introduced the first home computer is introduced. I mean, these are all things that become revolutionary and in how people gain access to information over uh, the course of time. And I think that that is uh, going to end up playing a huge part uh, through the 80s and then especially into the 90s. Uh, with how people access music. And of course, there's the whole Napster debacle that we've talked about before, and we'll get into that down the road. Um, but there was a feud between Napster and Metallica, particularly Lars Ulrich, their drummer. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely cover that in a lot of detail. But um, talked to Queensryche last week and just that, that opening EP, that first EP that they put out, uh, is a really good listen and a very solid entry into classic heavy metal. This week, we are talking an absolutely insane album, and I had a very good time listening to it with a different set of ears on. I grew up listening to this album. I grew up listening to songs from this album. And I would argue, uh, and in fact, there's numbers that we'll talk about in a little bit, but I would argue that this is easily one of the most prolific uh, heavy metal, classic rock, hard rock albums ever to be graced to this earth. We're going to get right into the album because I've got a lot to talk about today and I want to make sure that we are making the best use of this time. So we are talking ACDC Back in Black. This album was released July 25th, 1980. Uh, it, 
I'm going to hit you with some quick hits. Number one, it was recorded in the Bahamas. They, it was actually originally slated to be recorded in London. Recording studio opened up in Nassau, so the band flew to the Bahamas and recorded, uh, wrote and recorded the album in the Bahamas over the course of about seven weeks. Uh, number two, the title track uh, is actually featured in the first Iron Man film. For those of you Marvel uh, fanatics out there, you'll appreciate that call out. Uh, I actually remember that um, when I think about where this album and the songs uh, in particularly the title track have infiltrated into pop culture. That is one of the first things that comes to my mind. Number three, uh, <laughs> this one is hilarious to me. Uh, my wife and executive producer, uh, found this and hey, look, you know what, uh, hard to verify this, but I felt like it was worth it. Uh, you shook me all night long. Uh, is apparently one of the most played songs in United States strip clubs, uh, which I just love that tidbit. I just think that that's awesome and hilarious all in one go. Just a few little quick hits there to uh, get us going. Let's talk about the importance of this album. So going back through, right, we're visiting early 1980s classic heavy metal. So these are bands that, uh, bands and albums that I'm covering that have that very traditional heavy metal sound. They, uh, some of them were founders through new wave of British heavy metal. Some of them were new entries into that, like last week's with Queensryche. And then some of these are albums that just have played such an important role in the introduction of heavy metal or hard rock uh, into popular culture. And I think, in my opinion, that's where Back in Black sits. To me, this is an album that was, I can easily see being a gateway album for so many listeners into heavy metal. It has all of the elements that would make a pop album really stand out or um, really uh, get a lot of people's attention and, and cause them to gravitate towards a particular sound. But it has a very good handful of metal, heavy metal elements that to me help it uh, carry some weight in the genre itself. And so Let's talk about that for a minute because there's some numbers here that I just found to be absolutely astounding to me. In fact, as my wife was reading off some of these things to me, this was information that I was just, I, honestly, I was astounded by. Um, this album has over 50 million copies sold worldwide. To put that into perspective, this album ranks somewhere between number two and number five in all-time album sales worldwide. Michael Jackson's The Thriller is widely accepted as number one. Two, three, four, and five are somewhere between The Eagles' Greatest Hits album, uh, Shania Twain's Come On Over, Whitney Houston, The Bodyguard, and Back in Black. So when I'm saying that this album's impact and this album's influence in the genre, in popular music, in pop culture as a whole, can't be understated. That is what I mean. This is an album that is competing with some of 
pop music's greatest artists uh, of all time in Michael Jackson, Shania Twain, Whitney Houston. I mean, I mean, those are names that are legendary. And then the Eagles, a classic rock, hard rock group right up there. Uh, and then you have ACDC. That blows my mind. And I feel like that is a big part of what gives this album a lot of clout and a lot of that's what allows this album to stand on its own and to stand as such an immensely important album to heavy metal as a genre. Let's dig into a little bit more of the album itself. This is the first album to feature Brian Johnson on lead vocals. Uh, he came recommended by the producer, Mutt Lang. Uh, Mutt also produced Highway to Hell and I believe one other album for ACDC, but uh Highway to Hell and Back in Black are notably the most, uh, the some of the biggest albums that ACDC had uh, produced by Mutt. Mutt, interestingly enough, another little fact, Mutt at one point was married to Shania Twain. So kind of a tie-in there, right, with uh, top albums sales all time. Um, and there's video, you can go find it. Um, again, another little nugget my wife found, but there's video of Shania Twain, uh, singing, uh, an ACDC song, um, because of that. And so, you know, again, when you just talk about the influence of an album of a, of a heavy metal album in pop culture, it just, it's crazy to me. As I mentioned, first album to feature Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson was in another band called the Geordies. They were a seventies rock band. Bon Scott had passed away just literally like five, six months before this album was actually released. He uh, passed away from alcohol poisoning in the backseat of his friend's car. I misquoted that. And a lot of people made sure to let me know about that back when I was covering If You Want Blood, You Got It, their live album, the only live album to feature Bon Scott. I misquoted that and boy, did I hear about it. You talk about social media, really making sure to keep you in check. Um, it was at the time, I, the, my most commented and interacted video, it was one of the most it, like, like watched videos that I had, which was not a ton, but for me, it was a lot. So uh, maybe I just, you know, maybe I just start spreading, saying everything is different than what it was. And maybe that'll help me get some traction. I don't know. Uh, there's something to be said for that, though, and I found that very, very interesting that in everything I do, in every video I did, it, it, and as much as I would study to try to get the information right, and I mess up one, and boy, people jumped all over that, and they really made sure to let me know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a blunder there, but he passed away, uh, very unfortunately, um, to alcohol poisoning in the backseat of his friend's car. And the young brothers, Angus and Malcolm, the guitar players for ACDC, felt like they didn't want to spend time mourning uh, the loss of Bond. He was a great friend and obviously a, a very important um, 
part of the band for so long, they just wanted to be able to move forward and honor him by carrying on the ACDC legacy. So after he passed and after the funeral happened, they immediately started trying to find a new lead singer. And that was when they found Brian, they interviewed, you know, interviewed and, and rehearsed a bunch of other people, but they went back to Brian. Malcolm called him and said, Hey, we want you to have the gig. And the rest is history. Brian's been their lead singer forever. Um, he has far more albums than Bond does. In my opinion, I think I enjoy Bond Scott's vocals a little bit more. I think he has a little bit more range and uh, while while Brian has a very unique quality to his voice, uh, similar sort of to Bon Scott's, I think Bon Scott's range and capabilities were better. Uh, and so it's unfortunate that he, he passed when he did and we only had a few albums with Bon, but um, they went in and they started writing this you know, again, right away, they, Bond's funeral was in March and the young brothers immediately wanted to get into the studio and start writing. And so they did, uh, they flew down to the Bahamas and they started writing. Now I want to talk about the writing and recording process, uh, as it relates to what I'm familiar with for writing and recording and share a little bit about that for those of you that are not familiar. So now writing and recording and producing is very different than what it was back then. Back then you were seeing bands and you can go look when you go look at uh, album discographies from the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, you're seeing album cycles sometimes six, every six months to a year, if you know, um, and, and sometimes less than that. But, you know, on average bands were cranking out an album about every year. I think that says a lot for heavy metal in that it was a really new genre. So people were really eager to explore sounds and styles and try to create new experiences with this new style and new genre of music. So I think that plays a really big part in it, but it wasn't just limited to heavy metal. There's a lot of musicians and a lot of music like that. Now you're seeing two to three year album cycles a lot in heavy metal or the subgenres of heavy metal that I listen to. And a big part of that is that album sales don't make quite as much money as they once did, you know, back in the seventies and eighties and even into the nineties bands thrived off of album sales. It was, you know, tapes, it was, you know, records and then eventually CDs. And that was, how that was the the driving income for bands along with touring well now with spotify and streaming services and all of those things that pay really pennies on the dollar album charting and album sales are just not as profitable for bands as they once were so so part of it is is that they are writing albums they're releasing albums and then they're touring because a lot of bands make a lot of money on touring a lot of bands don't make a lot of money on touring. And a lot of bands um, really struggle to make ends meet, and especially in heavy metal subgenres that are way less popular than their counterparts. So I think a part of that is, is that, you know, bands now need more time to raise money to go record an album 
And part of raising that money means going on tour. Well, going on tour also costs money. And some bands barely make ends meet even to go on tour. Then you have merch and merch sales, merchandise. So shirts and hats and things like that that they sell while they're on tour. Well, now there's a whole ordeal with venues and taking venue cuts from those merch sales. And so I think that's why you've seen album cycles sort of extend out over time where back then when they wrote this album, they wrote it in like seven weeks, wrote it, recorded it, and left the studio with a near complete album. It ended up being produced up in New York and was finalized and then put out in July. So when you're talking about starting the process in March, now Angus and Malcolm probably had ideas and they probably had some different riffs and things like that that they had. But overall, I think that uh, they, you know, they went in with brand new ideas and fleshed those out and had an album by July. So that's, that's a very different thing than what bands go through now where most bands write a lot of demos and, and actually lay a lot of stuff down while they're on tour or they do separate sessions on their own and then come together later. And then by the time they get into the studio, they have a lot of different material to work from to put an album together. So they're in studio for a similar amount of time, you know, two to six weeks, depending on the band and the budget and those sorts of things. But then it goes off to post-production to get mastered and produced. And that's a whole other process. Process. And so all in all, it's just a very different experience than it was back then. Let's talk about some of the sound. So overall, the sound, I talked about this one. And if you want blood, you got it. Uh, earlier video series prior to the podcast, you can find that on the Facebook page. But ACDC's guitar work is very, very rooted in blues style uh, scales and rhythms, a lot of swing notes. And so for me, that is a part of this album that I have a hard time setting it fully in the heavy metal genre and it is stands out a little more hard rock to me. However, I go back to the influence that this album had on heavy metal artists of the time, as well as future heavy metal artists and their ability to break through to pop culture and break down some of those barriers that earn this album a place in heavy metal history like it does. In my opinion, Angus and Malcolm write some of the best catchy rock riffs of any guitarist out there. That's not to say that their riffs are really excellent or that they're really technical or anything like that. I mean, there's some guitar work from K.K. Downing and Glenn Tipton and Judas Priest, for example. Uh, the guys in Iron Maiden, you know, that's much more technical, even last week in Queensryche and what we heard uh, from those guys that to me is better and more fitting for heavy metal. But when we talk about breaking down barriers and breaking down walls, I think that's where Angus and Malcolm really stand out in helping propel ACDC to success. They write riffs that everybody can enjoy. They write riffs that are earworms that get stuck in your head. And you think about the back in black riff, that opening. I mean, it's just one of those riffs that just gets in and it stays in your head. And I think from my perspective and listening to a few of ACDC's albums and exploring all of this stuff, that to me is a big part of what contributed to so much 
of their success as a band. All right, let's talk favorite tracks. So I've got three that really stood out to me the most. Um, starting from the beginning, we'll go Shoot to Thrill. Shoot to Thrill is very fast-paced relative to most of ACDC stuff. Like I said, very bluesy uh, sounding styles and a lot more swing notes and, and, and a lot of those things. So it's definitely not as fast paced as a lot of the other heavy metal of the time, but for an ACDC track, it is a lot more upbeat than most of the other stuff. It is closer to the speed of heavy metal at the time. And remember, if we go back, right, that was a piece that really helped start to separate heavy metal and that classic heavy metal sound from hard rock and the rock that came before it was speed motorhead being a very big contributor to all of that right and driving the speed pushing the tempo and challenging the sort of status quo for how songs were written at the time so shoot to thrill to me is one of acdc's early tracks that gets uh, closer to that overall sound Second favorite track, again, just working through the album, Let Me Put My Love Into You. I just kept going back to this song. For me, this song felt the most classic heavy metal. It deviates a little bit from the normal ACDC sound and style. It's less bluesy sounding, and it's a little bit more straightforward. I think it is a range and it sounds the most like early new wave of British heavy metal. Uh, and I just kept going back to this. I want to step sideways a little bit from this track. This song is a song on the Filthy 15. I've mentioned this list in the past, but we haven't really gotten to any songs that uh, by bands that have made it onto this list. We've talked about bands that ended up on the list but not had an album that featured a song from the filthy 15. the filthy 15 is a list of songs established in the early 80s early to mid 80s of the most offensive music at the time famously tipper gore uh, served on the committee that helped establish this list it was the parents music resource committee the pmrc and was a major political thing in the 80s. It was a major pop culture thing in the 80s because multiple heavy metal bands were targeted by this. I went through the list. It, it, it's got Judas Priest. It's got Wasp. It's got Motley Crue. It's got Merciful Fate, Twisted Sister, Def Leppard, and it even features Prince, Madonna, and a couple others. So 75% of this list is heavy metal bands. And it's hard to believe that heavy metal music at the time wasn't just being targeted by this committee to shut down for, you know, offensive lyrics and offensive music. And so let me put my love into you was featured on that and a big part of that and partly responsible for why we see parental advisory stickers on CDs today. Music in the 80s was not as clean as everybody remembers. Even popular music in the 80s was not as clean as everybody remembers. Last favorite track, Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution. This is just a defiant middle finger to pop culture and popular music of the 80s. Musically, it is written so well, and lyrically, it is just all about 
rock and roll isn't going anywhere. Heavy metal isn't going anywhere. We're here to stay, like it or not. It is what it is. You can deal with it. Those are my favorite tracks. Back in Black, ACDC. Go listen to it. It's on the Heavy Metal History playlist that I've got on my personal Spotify. You can find that, Dalton A. Dale, on Spotify. Go to my playlist. You'll find Heavy Metal History. That concludes ACDC Back in Black. Let's talk what I'm listening to this week. Uh, For those of you who've been listening to several episodes, I like to close out each week by talking a little bit about what I'm listening to more casually away from the podcast and research. This week, I have just been completely absorbed with a band called The Home Team. Uh, In particular, it's their newest album, Slow Bloom, and it is awesome. They are groovy and... Their vocalist is so good. Their hooks are so catchy. They are kind of pop punk, sort of post-hardcore. Super, super good band. Apparently, my friend Skylar introduced me to them several months ago. I told him they were just okay. I don't know if I was in a bad mood that day or what, but either way, heard them while visiting a local ice cream joint that is emo-themed and my wife pointed them out and we both discovered them and that's all we've been listening to all week. So go check it out. Uh, The Home Team, Slow Bloom, very, very good album. Highly recommend it. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate everything, all the support, all the followers, all the subscribers, all the ratings. Please, if you can, leave a five-star review wherever you're seeing this or listening to this, especially on podcast platforms. It's incredibly helpful for new podcasts to get momentum and to get featured in some different charts and can really, really, really help get podcasts off the ground. I want to thank you all for tuning in today. Go find me on Facebook, follow, like, share, subscribe, uh, wherever you are, wherever you can. Tell all your friends. I would really, really appreciate it. This is the Evolution Podcast. We will see you in a few weeks.